when you go and eat out, like eating out is a privilege. Like being being able to pay someone to cook your food and serve it and sit on someone else's chair and table in someone else's space is a privilege. I think the prices should go up. I don't think that everyone should be able to afford eating out. It's I don't think it's something that automatically you are entitled to eat out when you decide to. It's something more to look at like, okay, like if I can afford that, maybe I go out once a week or something, so I save up for it or I make my budget for it. That's different, like if you're just going to eat out just simply because you are hungry and I want to grab something, like then you go for a takeaway or for a food truck or something that has a very lower cost of running and of cost of business, so they can afford better prices, but it shouldn't be compared to a mid-range sit-down restaurant. So I'm all for raising prices and making, making uh, higher margins. Welcome to the first English episode of Boyatras. Our fugitive chef today and the voice you heard right now is Wojtek Weg from Slovakia. Wojtek is one of the major global voices of the sustainability movement in gastronomy. In this episode, he shares with us about his initial years in the restaurant industry and how he has now switched to a career path that he always wanted. A path that permits him to be his own boss and also one that he is very passionate about. Welcome to the podcast Wojtek Wojtek and please if you could tell us a little about yourself and what is it that you do today as a fugitive chef trying to focus on sustainability as the tool for change within gastronomy? Thanks, welcome. So, yeah, my name is Wojtek uh, Weg and I'm a Zero Western plant based chef. So, at the moment, as Fulkan said, I'm doing a lot of work in terms of sustainability and food waste and how to reduce that and how to apply everything in a commercial setting. But um, where I'm coming from is uh, I have about 13, yeah, I think 13 years of experience right now in the kitchens. It's going to be the 13th year. I used to be working, I went through multiple restaurants in uh, pretty much across the world. Basically, I was uh, trying to get as much, ex- as much experience as possible in my early, early years. Then uh, later on, I opened my own restaurant, which happened to be the first uh, vegan and zero waste restaurant in the world. That was in Cambodia back in 2018. Yeah. Well, I had to close the restaurant and then I decided to write a book about that write a book for chefs about how they can apply all that uh, food waste reduction techniques in their restaurants and then ever since I'm doing consulting courses, workshops, masterclasses and all kind of things that help chefs to reduce their food waste in their restaurant. Wow and uh, I mean much before all the sustainability uh, factor of things and how you diverged into this uh, the whole consultation and all of this if you could just tell us about like how did you come upon uh, the idea of cooking as a career like is it something in your family are you are you coming from a family of chefs or was it something completely new for you <laughs> not at all not at all it was completely random i can't remember why did i even choose i, I think it's just like most of my classmates went to that kind of a college from the from the primary school so i was like yeah whatever i didn't really had like interest like i was 15 year old i didn't know what i what i wanted to do i actually started as a waiter at my first year but I didn't like that at all. Then I just moved to the kitchen. It still took me a good few years to actually start liking what I was doing. Mainly because I wasn't, like when you are such a young, when you're doing like internships and from school, you have to be lucky to put in a good place, in a good kitchen. And I wasn't one of them. So naturally I didn't really enjoy my work and the places I was going to. So I wasn't really that into it, but it, it gave me money. So I mean, I had society for that, so I was doing it. 
Well, it wasn't really until I arrived at like the first, uh, it was a five-star resort where I was working at. And that's where I seen people taking food more seriously and actually like loving cooking and being into that. And it just kind of caught on to me, like, okay, like the cooking can actually be good. Like food is fun. Like I like that. And then I just like kept being hungry for more and more and more. And I was just like looking for more places like that. And basically like for 10 years or something, I was just focusing on how to get as much experience as possible in as little time as possible. So just like going for experience after experience after experience, basically. There isn't, is, there isn't any connection to food from my family side or anyone like that. There's not remotely interested in food and cooking or being a chef or running a restaurant. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, I kind of started that. <laughs> oh, wow. And like, what was, what is uh, school, like culinary school? Like, is there culinary school or is it more like uh, hospitality? What is, what is the system in Slovakia? Bad. <laughs> yeah. The system is bad in Slovakia for that because it's really behind. Like, I don't have any thing nice to say about the system in Slovakia, unfortunately. Of the, the state, the government runs schools and then it's, it's not great. It's not great. And uh, I definitely did not learn how to cook in a school. There's no way. Yeah, I think that doesn't change. Like that doesn't change across countries. We speak to everybody and like culinary schools still remain to be like I studied hotel management and my cooking was four hours uh, a week. And mostly it was just doing French cooking for some reason in, in a corner of India. How is how is that in Slovakia? Like what kind of food do you learn in, in terms of the school? It's the kind of food that you would be served in a pub like 35 years ago. <laughs> like no one's cooking that food anymore like it, back then when i was in school that's 15 years ago it was like that now i did some work with schools lately last year and i know that okay like obviously there have been some changes but it's still not like you will actually learn how to cook you might learn the basics but you got to be pretty hungry and pretty on it and knowing that you want to do that to actually learn something they won't be convincing you that this is the right spot for you. Like, if you don't know that, and most people don't at that age when you are 15 or 16, then you're just going to lose interest in that. Like, I was really bad at school. Like, bad, bad. I, I almost didn't make it multiple times. I had to repeat the entire year. And, you know, like, I, I, was, I, was, I was a disaster in the school. Like, I had no interest being there. I didn't even show up most of the time. I missed, like, half of the year of the school year. But I have always, without a fault, always showed up for the internships. I like to be in a kitchen. I did not miss one of that. I always showed up because I like to be in a kitchen. I like to show up. I like to do my job properly and be aware. And I like to be accountable and being responsible for what I'm doing. And, you know, what I say that I'm going to do. So if I say I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up. That doesn't apply to the classes, though. Like, if there was a class, I was not showing up for sure. Like, I would be going yeah. anywhere, but not to school. Yeah, I think we are all made very different. I think that there are many people who like more the academic uh, theoretical part and then some of us just like the practical part. Yeah. That's why it's, I think it's very difficult to uh, design a course like one size fits all. I think we are all so different that, uh, but yeah, I hope nobody, no young students are watching or listening to this <laughs> to, to motivate them. But then if somebody's listening and, and thinks they're doing bad at school, uh, it's a good lesson that look where Wojtek is today. You don't really have to be, <laughs> you don't have to stuck, be stuck to all those, all those standards set by the school. And like, what was your, I mean, did you have any exposure? Like, do you think Slovakian food has changed in the past 15 years that you started in the industry and now look today when you go out dining? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it did change. It did change for sure. Because I wasn't in Slovakia. I basically left uh, Slovakia right after. I didn't even finish my school at the moment. I was still eight, eight, I was 18. I was freshly 18 when I left Slovakia. I just basically came back to finish the school and left again and didn't show up for another 10 years or something before I came back to Slovakia. I was coming for visiting my family, but I never stayed in Slovakia until 2019. That was my first year that I came back to live in Slovakia. So it was actually, yeah, it was actually 10 years out of country. And um, when I came back, I really wasn't sure what to expect, like even from Bratislava, from the capital city. I was not aware of any good restaurants. In my head, like Slovakia was like cheap fried pop food and like home cooked meals, one pot dishes and etc. I was really, really pleasantly surprised how many great and fine dining restaurants have shown up in Bratislava in the meantime. So that was one of the pleasant surprises that I think that there are actually people and by now there's lots of chefs and lots of new restaurants popping up who are doing this kind of new cooking of like a Slovakian classical dishes but um, you know like represented in their own way and cook differently and I think it's really fun and I really like it and I'm really into that because I think that the food is it's hard to say what is a specific Slovakian food it's very similar to the neighboring countries you know it's like a mix of Czech the Polish the Hungarian it's like some, something in between you know like lots of potatoes lots of cabbage lots of flour and uh, yeah we love bread and stuff and um but but there is many things that you can do with that to like turn it into something interesting. And by now it, it certainly has changes, and that definitely a young student has way more opportunities now than I had when I was a student. Wow! And considering that you entered this, as I understand, by chance, like entering the industry, and like just following your friends and going to the school. Uh, did you have any expectation of what will you be doing? Like, I know the first year you thought you're a waiter, but before starting, did you think like, what is a daily restaurant life like? And what did you find when you finished with your first few jobs? Not really, because there wasn't much responsibility given to, to the interns. So basically it was like standing by the table doing like a repetitive job. And it was like a really, really backwards kitchen. Like there wasn't, you know, like, kind of a school canteen kind of restaurant. But I had no idea, like before that, before I went to, it was in Greece when I was 18, that was my first experience. I have never traveled. I've never traveled before. I had no idea what a restaurant world looks like or what the professional kitchen would look like outside of Slovakia. So zero exposure to that. That's why I was very kind of caught off guard when I went into that massive kitchen of a five-star resort with multiple outlets. I was like, the, the size of the kitchen was like, you, you know, you know what, it's, it's like half of the school, basically. Like there was like 50 or 60 chefs or something cooking for like the different outlets, plus a beach restaurant, you know, and, and the bar and etc. And uh, it was a hotel restaurant, so I, I still had no idea about the a la carte serving and the traditional way the restaurants are being done. So basically that was like just cooking, 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 and like never really like serving, you know. But, well, that's changed soon after and I was really surprised of like how fast paced the kitchen can be yeah yeah and and like could you just run us through a little about like what are the first places you worked at where did you travel more or less what kind of food did you work with in the beginning um I started Mediterranean so uh, I went to Greece twice that was two internships I did like it was I was still in the college at the time and yeah, I love that. And then uh, I always wanted to go to England. So my next step was to get myself to England in some way. Well, it was easy to get a job in England as a chef. I already had uh, like some ex decent experience. I was, I think I was 19. Yeah. I went to England. It was like this, uh, 
kind of an upscale pop food. Very busy, like super busy. And that, that was my first exposure to like well, seeing a pass and seeing a service and like seeing the the distribution of the dishes and like and there was so much going on. I definitely learned a lot about the system and like how to how to set up my station and such things I had no idea about before. And after that, yeah, I just I was just like kind of kept switching jobs. Uh, mostly in England, it was kind of like me, like saving up in England. I went off for a few months to travel. I used to go a lot to Asia and Malaysia and etc. And uh, it was always me like going away. I, w- I was doing seasonal jobs too. So I would be, I spent like combinedly six, seven years in England running back and forth. I would always take like seasonal jobs in England. When the season ends, I go traveling to Asia, maybe pick up some other, maybe go to internships too. And so later on, I would be picking up internships at like Michelin Star Restaurant and etc. And then I was going back to work. But it was mostly, I would describe as modern European food. It's basically still what I'm doing to this day. I like uh, I like what we have in Europe, not uh, boiling it down to a particular cuisine, but mostly you know, like staying on the modern side of the things and with the ingredients available in this in here. Oh wow, that's very interesting because I have I have heard of a few people who would do these uh, seasonal jobs and then saving up and traveling, but I have actually not met personally some somebody who has or, or tried it for myself. I think it's a it's also a very alternative career. I think it doesn't uh, make you bound to one one place for a long time, and I think it's a, yeah, it's a lovely way, at least at the beginning of the career, to get this exposure. You know, anyway, I was doing it until late because actually when I was when I was getting jobs like even full time jobs, I would I would always quit like after six seven months or something. Anyway. It's not because the place was bad, but I was just like so curious to see something else. And I was like, like, I always felt like there is so little time and so many things to do. So I would be just like running from place to place. And then I figured out like seasonal jobs like that really works for me. Like you show up in March and you know that you are living in October. Like you know that. So you can already be planning like what your winter, what you're going to do in the winter. You know how much money you have. And you know, you can come back in March if you want. But that's like, it's like, a, it was perfect lifestyle for me back then. But that was back in England mostly. Yeah, I, I think it's also like a very new model of like, I think it's also one problem that the restaurant industry is facing today, because I think it's used to this whole era of chefs who used to or cooks or any occupation, actually, where people used to stay like our father's generation or grandfather's generation, they used to stay with one job and retire in that job and then live yeah. with that pension. But I think this model how is changing, especially in a business like ours, where uh, it really you working someplace the first month and working the 12th month you are much more valuable because you know so much about the menu already. So I think it's a classic problem that the industry is facing because many of us don't want to be at one place for a lot. We don't, we don't see it. Like I remember people used to see it as a very big thing to be loyal and faithful and be for so long. But I think we, it's not some value we associate necessarily with anymore. I'm not a good employee. I always leave. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're at least you're honest i think that's the beauty of good contract contract work because at least you are honest you promise to stay that much and and you commit to it i mean it's a, it's a beautiful aspect actually and then like when did this thought come like all through working for restaurants and traveling when did this thought come that because i understand today you do not uh do a service every day or go to a restaurant every day if you could just tell us like what are you doing today like what does your day look like today my day is widely different <laughs> every day because uh, sometimes i travel i travel for, started traveling after the covid ended finally so i, I could travel for work too and uh, most of the time i work from home i work from my laptop basically which is kind of unusual for a chef but there is uh, so much 
It was a dream, but I spent so much time behind a laptop that I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> like, I, I, I miss cooking, you know, like I'm going to go back into the kitchen and I'm getting back into the kitchen this year, so uh, step by step. But um, yeah, there's so much to do, like, you know, background, and, like building, basically running my own business, you know, it requires me to like manage all sides of it at the moment. So um, there, is, there is lots of that. So it's basically me planning, uh, working with clients, uh, creating stuff for them, getting on calls and then consulting and then traveling and creating menus. And I spend some, sometimes, sometimes I'm in the kitchen for half a day, but only in my home, you know, like cooking dishes and like retesting recipes and like developing new things and etc. But that's about, that's about like majority of the things that I do right now are one of those. It's all a combination. And could you tell us about Surplus Food? What, what is it? What is the project about? Well, Surplus Food is a restaurant. The restaurant was called Surplus I have then kind of evolved it into a surplus food studio. The the sad thing about that is that I started my business three days before the lockdown has started in the pandemic. Oh, wow. So, uh, so I had a plan to open kind of like a development kitchen studio in Bratislava. That has never happened because of the pandemic. So uh, it, it's unlikely that it will happen now. I don't even want to do it anymore. I have other things going on, luckily, from that. The, basically, the surplus, what I'm doing and what we are doing is providing solutions for chefs to help to reduce food waste. I have, I'm running an online course for chefs that chefs can sign up for. That is combined with the consulting on one-on-one on how to reduce food waste in a professional kitchen, how to write a menu that doesn't create food waste, and then doing master classes and workshops. And that is basically all that all that the business is about at the moment. Well, it's it's amazing. I think because I think it's a very much needed because I think the kind of business we are in and the kind of customers we have every day and the economics of it, uh, unfortunately, doesn't permit a chef to take time out and put this effort that you're putting and actually simplifying the whole uh, whole process of uh, of of the whole sustainability moment. Because I remember one of the most beautiful things I think I, I heard about sustainability is that nature doesn't create waste. It's us who because nature's end product is always the starting of some other product in nature it's just us who create and it's it's unfortunately such a simple solution but most of us i don't know what do you think is it ignorance is it too much work or is it just uh, because people don't want to do it not enough knowledge they don't know and and there is a bad perception of thing that it will that some that any change will take you more time it's difficult nah i don't want to do it i did it that way for 20 years now don't don't make me change that that's no reason to not change you know like if i was doing some stupid shit for 20 years then that doesn't mean that i'm never gonna change it right, right? yeah <laughs> it's a logical <laughs> fallacy <laughs> so yeah and 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 how do you see this movement because i see sustainability at large what's happening in the world and i'm 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 like with fingers crossed hoping that it's not a trend because what i'm seeing a lot of people doing sustainability is also making it very gimmicky and trendy because it is something which people are aware about and people are asking questions you think it's a trend or it's 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 going to stay for a while now it cannot be a trend because if you perceive it as a trend then it's gonna make you close down at one point that you just you're just gonna run yourself bankrupt because if you're gonna keep wasting food and run in a non-logical way that you are wasting the main product that you are selling then you're gonna have hard time surviving in business especially now where everything is up and the customers are harder to get and all the money issues and that's the supplier issues and everything it's if you perceive if anyone perceives this as a trend it's like it's bad for them but you will see this and hear this more and more but what i'm actually thinking is that maybe you won't be hearing it that there is like more zero waste restaurants and etc because what also i'm 
working for and what I'm trying to achieve is that you won't have to label the restaurant as zero waste because it will be the standard. Like it will be the normal operation is zero waste, it's circular. So you don't need to highlight that, oh, we are zero waste. This is where I'm trying to get, you know, like to change the old background of the entire, the new standards, basically like in how the industry is working and was working. So you don't need to compare in sustainability and etc. You can just like basically upgrade your system, make it work better, make it simplify, make it make more money from it. Because the financial sustainability is just as important as the environmental sustainability. Of course. I think I think this is also like the last point you said right now is something which I think a lot of people miss out because the I mean if a if a if the sustainability model is not creating the economy to support the model, it's it's a failure because many people I've seen who are like just for an example, you know, you make almond milk and the almond uh, leftover pomace you want to make an ice cream with. But if it requires 20 hours more of your works, work staff and you're not paying them for it or you're not being able to afford that, I do not know what is more sustainable. It, it, needs, it needs to run as a standard system. So basically when you are writing your menu and you are making homemade almond milk, because I've been making like hundreds of liters of almond milk. Now. So if you're making a homemade almond milk, and you need almond milk for one recipe, then at that point, you need to know where that almond leftover will go to. So if, you're gonna, if you will make cookies from them, and almond milk goes wherever you want it to, mm -hmm. now we have two essential products, basically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There is no, you do not have byproducts. Because if it's an extra item, then that is where it takes extra time. But if it's an essential part of your mise en place and another recipe, then there is no such a thing as not having time for that. Like... You just do a mise en place, right? There is no such a thing as I can't do it. What you gotta cook? You know that is the important part. That it needs to become essential, not an extra step. So it's never. You cannot blame your chef de parties for food waste. You know, like it's the person who writes the menu. Of course, I think yeah, that's that's very important to look at. I think uh, I don't know how many restaurants can afford it, but I think when the restaurants start. I think that's the key, or like whenever you plan to change the menu or the season, I think that's the key to. To set things straight, as you said, to to include that as a part of your whole ecosystem. And how do you see, like, I see this working very well. For example, the concept you're telling me right now can work very well for a restaurant, which is like a mid-range restaurant, changing the menu every day and working with local producers. What do you think about fine dining? Because fine dining then comes with a ton more of responsibility of having those standards every day, of having... For example, for the almond milk, they want said amount of cookies every day and a said amount of uh, milk every day. And there will always be a little ups and downs in terms of balance. And in a normal restaurant, you can play with it. But in a fine dining, it's like 20 courses with 90 covers. How do you how do you work that maths out? The, the way I was doing at my restaurant is that I was running uh, the dinners were fine dining. They were like 10 course tasting menus, while the lunch was a more casual offering. I even had like a couple of sandwiches, a soup and like, you know, you know, it wasn't like a multi-course menu. I could offer uh, daily specials and I was doing weekend brunches. So if there was such a thing as I have overproduced a byproduct of another item that I had too much of it, you don't have to use it on the same menu. You know, that, that pressure was taken off. I could just work it into the work it, work it into the lunch offering. Or I could just work it into the week, weekend brunches and I could change it in a moment's notice, basically, you know, like what's going to be the daily special. And that's an extra item. But another thing is, you know, like even if you overproduce something, the zero waste in the food waste reduction is never about the actual zero. Like you're never going to have real zero. You're always going to have like 5%, 10% or something. It's important to focus on what creates the majority of the waste. 
And if there is a handful of ways somewhere created, then like whatever. But make sure that the majority of the, you know, was the biggest production and that creates the largest stream of the waste, then that has to be eliminated. And if there is like a handful of passes talk or something in the end, then you worry about it later. Mm -hmm. But always start from the top. Yeah, I mean that's 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 beautiful. I think it's it's uh, the key to all of this is the intention of at least the person who's in charge of these changes. I think the intention and the philosophy has to be from the beginning that it has to be one of your core uh, values. If not, I think it's uh, it's it's very difficult to meet uh, all these all these aspects. What do you think about uh, like sustainability? Yes, like the way you're applying it is uh, by doing consultations with restaurants and everything. How do you see sustainability at large? Like, do you think it should have been? Uh, for example, a part of your uh, hospitality education or a part of your primary education, all these basics, because most of the things are basic. Uh, today, when I ask somebody what is composting, something so basic, most people don't know what is the essence of composting. How do you see that structure? Uh, working on that, to get that into school. Um, yeah, all of them. I mean, that's absolutely has to start at the beginning. It does not make sense to educate 40, 50 year old chefs about that continuously, always focusing on them. You at some point you have to start at the beginning. Like you have to look at like what are they actually teaching kids in the school, because that that's that's where where, where it all starts. And uh, that is a very long process and lots of approvals, but um, getting there maybe halfway there. So I'll see how that turns out, and that would be a major achievement yeah to oh, wow. that's... get something like that in a school oh, so. wow. I, I had i had honestly no idea and that's that's so uh, that's something so key and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing uh, you're doing something like that what about i would just i just wanted to know for all the listeners out here who are either if somebody is like considering to do something that you've done maybe in some other field of having a job which permits you to say work from home or to say uh, have days where you're extremely busy and have days where you're not so busy and permits you to, uh, a lot more other academic fields just, and just not being in a restaurant. How do you see yourself like leaving aside all the sustainability aspect? How do you see your life, like your personal work-life balance or things like this uh, compared to say 10 years ago doing in London, all these uh, contract stints, how has that changed? Much, uh, it's much better because, you know, like I always wanted to work for myself. I always had this kind of entrepreneurial mind of like having my own time and being flexible in work. What I absolutely hate is showing up at 9 a.m. and leaving at 9 p.m. and etc. When someone is giving me a schedule, I really have a hard time working like that. I have a child and I have a girlfriend and, uh, you know, like I want my time at home. And if something changes on a moment's notice, I want to be able to do it. Now I'm creating my own schedule. So that is the biggest upside for me of all that. But this is what I always wanted. It's I love being in a kitchen and working in a restaurant and cooking food and etc. But the problem is that I have to show up on a certain schedule every day. And that just does not work with my lifestyle and the way that I want to live my life. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's 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 very interesting. And do you think it's like I mean, there's always like everybody keeps repeating that there's always a sacrifice in terms of being a cook although you could I mean i think the only thing which can make a cook stay in the kitchen is passion i think there is no other there's no economic motivation there is no life motivation there is i mean of course there's personal growth and and stuff in career but do you think this is always going to be like this like being a cook is a sacrifice which is not in so many jobs where you don't have to sacrifice so much to just earn your daily bread 
There is, you know, there is like lots of restaurants, especially very high profile restaurants right now, who are changing into like four day work week and eight, uh, eight hour days, and etc. Like giving more times of like a forty hour work week in a kitchen. I cannot imagine that because I never had it, but I wouldn't mind trying that out how it would work. But I mean, it will be essential at one point because otherwise, how are you gonna have restaurants? Who's gonna be working in them? You you don't you don't see many like fifty or sixty year old chefs. I mean, what, 40, 45, and then you're out? Or you take an office position, or an executive or something, you know? But you're not going to be running the path when you're 60. This is, there is not many chefs who, who, who is doing that. So there's definitely some change needs to come or something needs to happen. Uh, I don't know what is the answer to that, or what is the right way. Maybe it's uh, shorter days or less opening days during the week. Or I think we're going to find out pretty soon, because there is many <laughs> restaurants that are taking that direction. So... Uh, I'm pretty excited about that, though, to see, like, how we will finally change. Because that's been, like, the biggest thing that puts off the young people of entering the kitchen. Like, you don't want to work 18 hours a day every day. You know, like, you might do it for some time, but that's not a lifestyle for you. So um, if that will be eliminated, then I'm excited to see the future. Yeah, I mean, I think the re- retention rate in this industry is just, I mean, so low because people keep jumping ships so fast. And these are people who are... Uh, just they they just seeing that what is being demanded is 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 not acceptable and also the people demanding it also don't have a solution for it do you think like considering you having traveled in a through london being in greece being in slovakia right now do you think the price all of us are paying doesn't have to be a fine dining the price we are paying for a mid-range restaurant in spain i can say a restaurant which is i'm paying 30 euros a cover is a mid-range uh, is, is a mid-range restaurant and do you think the price we are paying today, is it correct? Uh, does this have to increase in, in order to accommodate all these demands of uh, the work-life balance? You know, when you go and eat out, like eating out is a privilege. Like being being able to pay someone to cook your food and serve it and sit on someone else's chair and table in someone else's space is a privilege. And you should pay for that. <clears throat> I think that the food should get more expensive in restaurants. There should be higher margins. Like restaurants are barely financially sustainable with such a thin margins that they have, most of them. You know? I think the prices should go up. I don't think that everyone should be able to afford eating out. It's, I don't think it's something that automatically you are entitled to eat out when you decide to. It's, it's something more to look at like, okay, like if I can afford that, maybe I go out once a week or something, so I save up for it or I make my budget for it. That's different, like, if you're just going to eat out just simply because you're hungry and I want to grab something, like, then you go for a takeaway or for a food truck or something that has a very lower cost of running and the cost of business, so they can afford better prices, but it shouldn't be compared to a mid-range sit-down restaurant. So I'm all for raising prices and making making uh, higher margins. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's all, like, the whole voice of the industry has been recently, and I hope we see this change soon, because I think before I entered this industry, say say 10 years ago, there was all these long work hours and everything. And then when I started working, there was this whole culture of people saying that, you know what, I have worked 18 hours for 20 years. So why can't you work? Because today I'm at a good place. But finally, so today, like, yeah, that's that's so classic. And it's been it's been running through. But actually, I'm very happy to say finally, like in the past two, three years, what I've been seeing is nobody uses this excuse anymore. I think people who are now at management positions have also faced this. So it's this whole change of age happening when people are actually realizing that. Unfortunately, nobody knows the solution, but I do not see anybody who is willingly doing anything evil 
having free interns or any of these problems i don't think it's willingly done by anybody i think there's a lot yeah. of uh, yeah a lot of questions unfortunately well, i'm i'm curious to see how how this will turn <laughs> out in a uh, 5 or 10 years yeah and do you think i mean i think it's a very global problem also do you think the solution for this coming from just education or coming from restaurants or coming from government bodies the legal system maybe is not prepared for this where do you see this change coming from in the next few years well i think it always be the individuals the government is always the slowest part of the things like they are they are always the last one to catch up on what's actually happening so there's you're going to have these like influential restaurants or the high profile restaurants that are very well known that got to be kind of lead that's what i think going to be kind of leading the change like like they always did in other parts of the industry as well in in other terms so maybe they will like set like a new standard like look that's working for us like go and try to copy that too and because other restaurants will naturally do that like trying to do the same way like if it works for them then they they going to try it from their own and i think like you know if it's going to there's going to be enough places that you can kind of go with the standard then maybe at some point the government going to catch up like oh actually something changed but uh but i think it's like it's up to the small businesses of course and if you had to just list like a few things in terms of the sector you work with now sustainability what do you think like i mean you're already of offering the tools to people who want to make this change what are you as a as i mean today you are a businessman who's running a business revolving around this concept what do you see are your first challenges in today's day and age with what is available why are people not taking that making the choice that you're offering them i think it's it's, it's because of the perception that that that's what i feel is that is the biggest thing it's like i would compare it to veganism you know like when you say you're vegan it's it there is this negative label immediately with that word you could you say plant based it's even 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 better but vegan is bad and i'm saying like reduce your food waste like you've been listening to that for like past 20 years or something everyone having that this is the three basic tips how to reduce food waste and you know all the basic things that you can't even apply in a professional kitchen so people kind of became immune to actually listening to real solutions because now everything in their eyes and perception everything is in the same bag like yeah whatever just leave me alone don't i know what i'm doing yeah i can't do that there's always will be ways and i don't know i don't have time for this and we don't have money for we don't have budget and, you know like all, all these kind of things i think this is the biggest one like if that changes if there's going to be more and more businesses who are successfully and big ones and major ones and in different types of uh, restaurants and hotels and what not if they will actually show that look we are running in that system and it perfectly works for us didn't cost us nothing basically it's only saving us money and no time extra then again the change will slowly come like slowly they're going to be looking at that of how they can change how they can adapt but it's always the smallest businesses are the fastest to change you know because you make the decision today you can you can change tomorrow it's not like big businesses they have a more systematic change needed then you know yeah i think it's this change is in, inevitable it is going to come is just i think it's a matter of uh, yeah matter of time when this happens looking back today uh, whitek when you when you decide when you made this plunge that you know it's not easy to say that okay i will start my own restaurant or okay i'm going to start my own studio and two days later covid comes which nobody could predict uh, were there any fears that you know i have not done for example i am not a graduate in uh, life cycle study or sustainability environment i've not studied in the un and uh, attended climate change conferences because many people i think have amazing and brilliant ideas like yours but they hesitate a lot because the world shows you that you have to academically prove yourself or be or i don't know 40 years old and then you can actually because you're young you have been a cook all your life 
how do you make this switch? What what motivated you to make the switch to be like uh, autonomous, like from running for working from somebody to work for yourself? How do you make that? that like, what are the fears you faced, and how do you reason it out? Well, I always jump into deep water and then learn swimming there. <laughs> I mean, you either fail or swim, right? If you fail, then you start again. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you always got to have some fear. That's like, I have fears doing new things and something like there's some big things coming up this year. And like, naturally, you have some respect for them and fear. But it doesn't mean that's not a reason to not act or to not learn. Like, that was always my only way of how did I actually became better and like learn something new. Would you jump into the deep water and like... Swim or swim or dive. <laughs> no, I love I love the perspective. I think yeah, risk is a big factor. Many people see risk like very negative, but yeah, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Exactly, exactly. You no, you fail. You're gonna mm-hmm. mess it up, and then what? You start again. No, that's a that's a that's a great perspective. I think anybody listening to this needs to hear this. That you know, as you said, there's nothing worse that can happen than failing, which is not as bad either to fail at something. You fail and you always start again. If you really want to do that, then you're just going to look at like what did you go wrong and then you're just going to go from there. Like There is there's no way that everything's going to go right all the time. Of course. Oh, no, lovely, Wojtek. I think I'm going to use this as a cue to end this podcast over here. I think it's a beautiful <laughs> thought to leave people inspired. And yeah, I mean, thank thank you so much for such a short notice uh, being being a guest on the podcast. And I, I, I hope you had a great time too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thanks, thanks a lot for inviting me. That was a good chat. Thank you, Aitor. <laughs> Thank you. So that's it from this week's episode of Boyatras, a podcast where we bring to you the voice of the fugitive chefs. If you like listening to these interviews, do subscribe to us so that you do not miss out on any of these episodes. You can also find us on Instagram and YouTube as Boyatras Podcast. We release new episodes every Tuesday, alternating between English and Spanish. Mm-hmm.